Welcome to the Self-Storage Playbook Podcast. In this show, we're going to take you behind the scenes with fellow self-storage investors from around the country and look inside their operations to talk about their victories, lessons learned, and the current strategies they're using in today's market to dominate this fast-growing field. I'm your host, Terry Royce. Let's go. In this episode, I discuss the biggest myth around self-storage, and that is the myth of self-storage being a passive income stream. I discuss why it's highly active, but also why I think it's a fantastic asset to own. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, keep in mind, if you have a storage deal that doesn't fit your buy criteria, or you need help with a storage deal that's come across your path, I'm always happy to take a look as we are actively looking to buy more storage properties around the US. Shoot me an email at selfstorageplaybook at gmail.com to connect. And don't forget to connect with our Facebook group and help continue the conversation at www.selfstorageplaybook.com. Thanks, guys. What's going on, everybody? So was taking some notes here today, and I wanted to do kind of a little bit different episode than some of the episodes we've normally done. And what I want to talk about today is what I consider to be one of the greatest myths in self-storage and within most real estate asset classes, if not all of them. And that's the myth of passive income that you hear a lot of people throw around and you hear gurus, you hear people that want to get into the industry, throw that term around loosely. And in my opinion, it is a complete misconception of what any investment entails, whether it be self-storage, apartments, single family, or whatever. I mean, the definition of passive in and of itself, actually, look it up. I mean, I know what passive means, but the accepting or allowing of what happens or what others do without active response or resistance is the first definition that comes up around passive, right? That's why I do these episodes live so that I can't uh, stop and re-record when I, when I bungle my words right there. So, you know, there aren't many truly passive assets, even if they're non-real estate related, even if, you know, in most cases, stocks, equities, other stuff, you're going to do some level of research, vetting, watching the market, and you need to know what's going on in that asset class. But I feel like a lot of people, especially new investors in the self-storage space or even the single family space, they want to get into it because they see it as being less work and having less resistance. Now, from a tax perspective, you know the IRS is going to have some views as active versus passive income. But from an actual activity standpoint, I believe it's one of the biggest misconceptions. It's just like a tree, like a plant, like an animal. You have to nurture it or else it's going to struggle to survive, point blank. And any asset needs managed, especially self-storage. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, AJ Osborne goes on a lot about this on his podcast about how you have to manage the revenue stream surrounding it. And self-storage has a lot, right? Especially if you've got a bigger facility, you might have a lot of fee income and you know other things you're selling like boxes and services or niche products. But most smaller, you know, we get into this business, right? Because I think what we really want is a lot of people use the word residual too, which is completely off base because residual means what's left over. But what we want is the recurring revenue, and we want the ability to tweak that revenue stream and improve it, right? So where am I going with all this? And the p- reason I bring all this up is because, you know, I, I think it's a, a lot of people get into the business, they buy these, these 
assets, these self-storage properties, these elephants, and they have to be fed, right? They have to be nurtured. And then once you buy it, you can't just release it easily, right? So springs up a topic. You get into it. What are you looking for? And if you look back at episode 15, I talk about developing your deal avatar. And I think this, this kind of ties into that pretty significantly, right? Of looking at what kind of deal um, you want and what you're willing to manage. You know, if you've got a W-2 or if you have another business that takes 80, 90% of your attention, especially in the beginning, do you really have, you know, the time necessary, especially if you're looking for these value ads that so many people are looking for right now? Those things are going to take a lot of time in CapEx and maybe sorting out the records, you know, and just getting the stigma of the old the way the facility was run, you know, by the wayside. And if you've got one, two, three facilities until you reach kind of a critical mass of either square footage and or facilities, you're really going to have to get in the driver's seat and take control and do the heavy lifting. You know, I think one of the things when people talk about passiveness in self-storage, it's not passiveness that people are looking for. It's the systemization of the, of the asset and the industry. And we're seeing that on a big scale with a lot of these REITs and even what I call the regional REITs, like the Red Dots and you see 10 Federal and those guys. And um, I don't know either of them if they were sitting next to me on a bus, but I've seen some of what 10 Federal has been able to do. And they have some amazing systems around their business that allow them to scale. I think that's really what people are looking for. But you kind of have to get through that phase one and phase two cycle of investing in self-storage to even start to get there to maybe bring on outside uh, or to bring on you know team members and so forth. So a lot of people get in and they say, okay, well, I'll bring on ESS or I'll bring on XPS or I'll bring on a third-party manager. But are you going to bring them on and completely release the reins and not monitor them, not track what they're doing, not have regular meetings? There's no passiveness involved with that. Even if you have a third-party manager, you're going to need to manage your manager and track their progress. And what we talked about last week with Josh Bacon is track the KPIs. What are we, what's going well, what's not, and what do we need to tweak? And that is fully active. So things to think about, right? I brought up who's going to manage it. So a lot of people are going to bring up, say, hey, I'll just bring in this third-party manager, plug it, and then I'm not going to have to do a whole lot. Well, I haven't talked about it really a whole lot. I've referred to it a little bit in some of the episodes, but 25,000 square foot facility that we bought in uh, late 2021 down in Alabama, we brought on a third-party manager. We tried them out. And again, we, you know, we have to manage the manager. We were watching what was being done. We were seeing, and immediately we said, Hey, this, this is not going in the direction that we need. And we need to cut ties immediately. Now that was a kind of a, I don't want to say gut wrenching call, but that was a tough call to make because we had brought them on. They had sent out letters. You know, there were the, there, there was some interaction going on, but it wasn't up to our standards. And we immediately were like, hey, let's just cut this, kill this while it's young, and, and we'll have to just clean up the aftermath rather than getting three, six months into this and then having to do it. And I, I still think that was the right call. I'll probably talk about that a little bit more in depth in a later episode. And 
Yeah. So we watched it. And, and again, if you think you can set it and forget it, like, again, we weren't setting it with a third party manager and then forgetting it. We were setting it. And then quickly, two weeks into it, we realized it wasn't good. We, we changed course quickly. And that's how quickly sometimes things in this business can go is whether you're talking about capital X, your occupancy, your revenue, all that good stuff. You know, I, I think a lot of us that have properties in lower socioeconomic areas, after the holidays, you see it, you get a lot of delinquents. You get a lot of customers that are getting behind. And how are you managing that? Are you proactively going after those customers or not going after them per se, but reaching out to them and trying to move them along so the revenue stays stable? Or are you just, is your system to cut two months, get rid of them, so forth? So I think when you're going into this, you have to think about what is my process? What is it going to be? And how do I take that you know, when you have one facility, then two, then three, it's not just growing. That second and third facility could be three times the size of your first facility. And as you get more facilities, it's going to take more work to streamline them across the board. So you have clear policies and procedures, clear ways you're operating and so forth. And that's one of the things that we, I mean, my wife, myself, and our team, who we have a couple administrative assistants along with some uh, we use ESS currently and some things like that, that we're looking at making tweaks. How do we streamline this? How do we make it better? And we work on that throughout the week, every week. Hey listeners, whether you're looking to get on the fast track to buying your first self-storage facility, expanding your storage empire, or connecting with top level storage investors and operators, then join me and loads of other self-storage investors on a monthly interactive training by visiting www.storagerebeltrial.com. Here, you'll find an interactive group that hosts live monthly trainings in addition to an active daily forum that connects storage investors from around the globe and is hosted by our good friends of the Storage Rebellion. Mike Wagner and his team have generously offered our listeners a risk-free one-month trial, and you can check it out by visiting storagerebeltrial.com. Here, you'll have access to all the previous recordings and forums to check out all the solid content that has already been discussed, well as the new content coming up. I'm on these calls every month, and there are lots of other new and experienced storage investors as well. So come join us risk-free at storagerebeltrial.com. See you there. Just something to think about, day-to-day operation. What is your tolerance? What are you able to handle? And what does this look like going forward? Because again, it is a commitment, okay? If you if you buy one of these things, it's the one thing about any real estate, if it's not a good asset, it's usually takes some time to dispose of that asset unless you're willing to take a fire sale type price. And that's one thing I think a lot of people don't factor in. You know, if you get a stock, you want to cut it, boom, you just go on E-Trade or TD Ameritrade and sell it in minutes. You get an asset, it could be 30, 60, 90 days, six months. You have debt on it, you could be underwater. And that's something to consider. You're making a commitment not only to your customers, but also the lenders, your investors, and whoever else is getting in that boat with you and rowing. And that is a real commitment. So kind of, again, just a little bit of off-style episode here, just going through some notes. Um, And that brought me up to the other thing, you know, a lot of guys that diss single family real estate, I at one point had 32 single family rentals. I think single family is a great asset class, but a lot of people talk about how storage, you don't have the three T's of single family. I think it's uh, right down here, tenants, toilets, and trash, right? But with self-storage, you you do, you've got, I I came up with the, the three G's, right? You've got gates, 
garage doors and garbage, right? You've still got people filling up your units and abandoning them, putting food in there and bringing the rats in and so forth. All of these things are problems, right? But they're problems worth dealing with. And I think that's why I hate when people are like, oh, you don't have the three T's of a uh, single family because that's like saying there's no problems that go along with self-storage. And I think that's complete BS. And I think looking at them as problems also is not the right term. It's also just looking at it as part of the business and something you got to you gotta work out and deal with, right? So that all that being said, I think storage is an amazing asset class for what I talked about before, which was the ability to implement systems and processes and tweak the revenue stream. And that's something that you don't have on such a recurring level or such a consistent level that in single family apartments, you have it a little bit because you've got greater, right? As people move in and out, you can kind of adjust the uh, rental rates. With single family, right? You go through the rehab, you get it in, and then boom, one or two years, you don't have any, there's no um, revenue stream management, right? You're not adjusting the rates or anything. You're just working on keeping that tenant happy, keeping the property up to speed so that the people stay in there and they stay happy and hopefully renew. But with storage, you've literally got tweaks every 30 to 60 days on any individual customer unit size or other maybe add-on. You know, I've seen people charging for, you know, with the smaller facilities locks. I've even heard on some other shows and read in some forums, people talking about, well, if people use the gate more than so many times a week, maybe we can charge for that. We don't get that nitty gritty, but you're working on constantly pushing those revenue streams up. So again, tying back into what I mentioned in episode 15 is your deal avatar. What are you willing to do in the beginning as you kind of transition into the asset class and grow? And that's something I don't, and that's why I kind of tied it in here is because I don't think it's something that a lot of people put a lot of time into. And then they get into this marriage with the property, with their bank, with their investors, and you've got customers who have their personal belongings in your property. A lot of people look at that as like, oh, well, it's not their home, but it's their stuff that they obviously place emotional value on enough to pay you to house it in a, what they hope is a safe, clean structure. So again, what are you willing to tolerate in your business? Can you let it be a little efficient? That's something that I am personally working on with our business, right? The old 80-20 rule. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, it's it's a mixture of, I, I wrote down here, it's a, it's a growth and discovery phase that I'm working on, not only how to manage the business, but how to manage my own expectations uh, with my anxiety that comes with the customer service aspect, with the human nature to want this to be perfect, right? Like if you've got a um, single family house and the heat goes out, you're like, oh my God, like their heat goes out, it's cold out. And so some of that same stuff comes in with me that I'm working on. Okay, how, where, where do I draw the lines at jumping in and making it right quickly versus letting it play out? And that, you know, how fast do we need to get back to the customer? If the customers are locked out, if there's an issue, maybe the gate's broken, all that stuff and, and really developing on, okay, it can be good enough but it doesn't have to be perfect. And that's something to think about, right? Because you're getting a lot of customer calls. We got customer calls tonight on a Sunday at eight o'clock because our systems and processes are effed up. So do I let that slide and say, well, even though we effed up, you know, we'll deal with it on Monday and let them call back or whatever it may be. So 
you know, th- this is a business where people are just, you know, they, if they're living in the property, if you're dealing with a single family, they're potentially utilizing your service, the storage, 24 hours a day, or at least seven days a week in most cases. So think about that. Think about what you're willing to tolerate, how you're going to deal with it, what the pro- processes are to deal with it, because it goes on seven days a week. So again, I kind of I kind of went into what sounded like a lot of negative stuff here about self-storage and about the nuances that come with it, but I think it's a fantastic business. I think it's a fantastic asset class because of the streamline. You can transition from, you know, working small, starting out with smaller properties and build out an organization and a real business. And again, some of these bigger companies that I mentioned earlier, the the 10 federals and so great businesses to look at and model. Maybe you're not as big as them and have several million square feet, but if you have a couple hundred thousand, you can start to copy some of their processes that work for for bigger facilities and you don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel and you can streamline it and so forth. So again, develop your deal avatar, refer back to that episode, episode 15. I think it's really important why you're getting into it, what you have time to do, what you don't have time to do. And you know, if you don't, if you're really honest with yourself, maybe you look at investing in a syndicate, maybe look at investing with partnering with uh, another investor that's an operator that you can look over their shoulder and kind of understand the business, get a peek inside what's going on with them and say, okay, this is something I'm willing to do. I see what they're putting in and I don't necessarily need to, I, I'm willing to do that. Or maybe, okay, I'm not willing to do that being the, being the, passive, even though you're not passive, being more passive than the operator is a role for me. I'm willing to take a lesser percent so that I don't have to do that. So I don't have to figure this out and I can let them, this other operator do that. I can tell you that I'm invested in two or three deals like that. It's great, right? With operators, we know operators that we've vetted and it's a great way to get into the business maybe peek over their shoulder a little bit, obviously have that conversation up front with the operator. Don't invest and say, hey, well, now I'm invested with you. Let me peek inside your business because a lot of operators aren't going to want that either. But maybe there's a way you can work it out. You get a lower return and in order to uh, you know, earn, earn while you learn type of thing. So I'd love to hear what other people think about this. You know, If you're listening on the podcast, you know, check, go to the Facebook page at selfstorageplaybook.com drop some comments about it or hop on the next live episode. I love to see like the live comments that come in as, as the show's going on. Um, I'd love to hear other people's think thoughts about it because it's uh, obviously a term that gets thrown around a lot, the passive income. I want to invest in passive self storage. And I just don't think that's the case. I think it's a big myth. So thanks for joining guys. I appreciate it. See you all soon. Hey everyone, I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Self Storage Playbook Podcast. We'd love to know your biggest takeaways from the show today and would love to hear from you at selfstorageplaybook at gmail.com. You can also find out more info on today's guest, the nuts and bolts of self-storage and connect with other self-storage investors in our growing community at selfstorageplaybook.com and through searching our group on Facebook at Self Storage Playbook. And don't forget to go to www.storagerebeltrial.com for your risk-free one-month trial to the Storage Rebellion University monthly calls. I'll see you there.